Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is February 3rd, 2020. And as always, here to help us understand the shape of things is my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hey, April. Hi, Jen. I see what you did there. The shape of things. Did you see that? Because I saw that you and Big Sky Astrology were mentioned in an article in Shape Magazine, and the podcast was also mentioned in this article on astrocartography. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Well, just in case we have anybody who's joining us because they saw the mention in Shape Magazine, hello and welcome. That was my good buddy, Marissa Brown, that wrote that article and reached out to me about astrocartography, even though it's not something that I know a whole lot about, and I'm not a particular specialist. You know plenty. Let's give you some credit. I will take some credit. I do know a little bit, and I've worked with it a little bit, but I did refer her also to my friend Ralph McIntyre, who's also here in the San Diego area and does a lot of work with astrocartography and with astrolocality. And both of these just kind of refer to methods that you can use to find out the best places for people to live or visit in order to accomplish various things. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. It's actually on my list of things that we should do an episode on sometime. Oh, on the ever burgeoning list. I have a long list of topics that we should cover as we move forward. (laughs) It's a good one. It's a little bit of a complicated topic, but it's actually a pretty simple concept, which is if you took the time that you were born Mm -hmm. and you take the coordinates of a different place, you can say, at the time that I was born, this is what the sky looked like in this place. So I was born, for instance, in Indiana. Mm -hmm. But if I take the way the sky would have looked at that exact moment I was born and how the sky looked in California, where I live now, the relationship of the earth and the sky is slightly different, even though the planets are all in the same place. Hmm. So what happens is you get a different rising sign. A lot of the time you'll get different signs on the house cusps. Sometimes planets in your chart will change house. And you can move to particular places on Earth where a planet in your chart becomes especially strong. That's what's fascinating with astrolocality. Yeah. Yeah. And what happens, I find over and over again, if you're having a big transit in your chart, say Saturn is crossing over your sun or something like that, you'll often find yourself, if you move at a time like that, if you look at your chart cast for that place, you'll see Saturn is very strong. Hmm. So we just sort of get magnetized to these places that are helping us learn a thing that a transit's trying to teach us at a particular time. So I think it's fascinating. Yeah. And how would your chart look if you were living in Minneapolis? It would look very similar, (laughs) very similar to where I was born, because the line of longitude is not so different. Right. It would be slightly different. Yeah. And I might end up with a Scorpio ascendant. Oh, just like me. Just like you. Yeah. And the interesting thing about astrocartography, astrolocality, too, is you don't even have to be in a place. I think I mentioned this in the article. You don't even have to go to the place to get its influence. You will meet people, for instance, who live in a place where Venus was very strong in that place at the time you were born. Hmm. If you meet a person from that place, you'll have a very Venus response to them or them to you. So it's really interesting. Yeah, we could definitely do an episode on that. Yeah. Are you saying we kind of attract the people into our orb that are represented in our chart? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Sure. 
Yeah, that's a whole episode in and of itself. Okay, let me grab my pen and write that down. Yeah, keep a list there. Keep a list there with your little Virgo planets that like list making. Hey, no, you have Virgo planets too. <laughs> I do, I do. I love me a list, I must confess. So it's appropriate we're talking about these lists and this kind of thing because we're starting today talking about Mercury. And Mercury is also a guy who kind of likes his lists and likes to know what's happening now and what's coming up next. Sadly for Mercury, he's entering Pisces this Uh-oh. week. So <laughs> I picture Mercury putting on his swim trunks and yeah. not too happy. Well, I picture him either sinking into a bubble bath or perhaps, you know, going to a spa, having a spa day. Or going to the beach, as you say. Mercury is in its detriment in Pisces because it's in its rulership in the opposite sign, which is Virgo. Oh, sure. Yeah. So we know right away that this is a sign where Mercury is going to have to work a little bit harder. And we will have to work with him in a particular way while he is in Pisces for the next few weeks. What I say about Mercury going into Pisces is it does work a little bit like a Mercury retrograde. Because Mercury likes to structure things a lot more loosely. In Pisces, you mean? Yeah. Mm. It doesn't like straight lines. It doesn't like precise schedules. It likes to just kind of flow, just kind of go with things. Yeah. So if you push it too hard to try to really get things done in a systematic way, while Mercury is in Pisces, it can be a little bit counterproductive, we might say. Hmm. So Mercury will be retrograde coming up February 17th. So that's coming up upon us. Right. So this is practice. This is rehearsal for that. And so people could also look ahead then. You know how people say you shouldn't buy new laptops while Mercury's retrograde. Yeah, but what Mercury likes to do is push you into a corner. Yeah. Because he's a trickster. So you'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I know I'm kind of needing a new computer, but I'm going to wait. And then he will make it completely stop working. So you have no choice but to do something with it. Yeah. And the same thing with your car. Oh, I know I need to get the car in for adjustment or I really need a different car, but I'll wait till Mercury goes direct. And the Mercury says, ha, ha, ha. wouldn't it be funny if you had to do it now? And he'll make the thing totally stop working. So Mercury has this goofy sense of humor. So it's like the old saying, if you want to make God laugh, have a plan. Right. And when Mercury is in Pisces, having plans of exactly how you want things to work out probably isn't going to work out super great for you. So I'm picturing Mercury as the planet of expression and communication. And so because Pisces is a sort of emotional, spiritual kind sign... Does that mean expression will take after those attributes? Boy, wouldn't that be nice? We could all afford to speak to each other a little more kindly these days, couldn't we? I think so. If Mercury is given the choice between being kind and making a good joke, Mercury's going to go for the joke. Okay. And Mercury means nothing by it. It's nothing personal. Well, none of this is personal, I would imagine. (laughs) None of it's personal. And Mercury wants it to be funny, to be clever, to be interesting. And Pisces is a lot more concerned with being nice and gentle and kind and sweet, which is not a bad thing. I'm thinking back a few episodes and we referenced the podcast Finding Fred about Fred Rogers. 
Didn't I say that he had Mercury in Pisces? Yeah, I think he had Mercury with Venus. He had a lot of stuff in Pisces, I think. So I'm picturing a kind of a Fred Rogers character. So kind. He's going to put his cardigan on. I know, he's so sweet. Maybe his trickster hat with it, too. His hat with the (laughs) pinwheel, the little baseball hat with the pinwheel. And I think of his little puppets. Like I love that little tiger. He's so sweet. Daniel the tiger. So he had a whimsical side. And I think Pisces is a whimsical sign as well. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see Mercury and Pisces splashing around over the next few weeks. I would say, you know, again, just don't expect things to go in a very particular way. We say sometimes, have a goal in mind, that's fine, but don't be too attached to how you get there mm-hmm. while Mercury's in Pisces. And that's probably good advice. Yeah, okay. So Venus is entering Aries this week. It is. And I'm sort of picturing, because I know that Venus is about relationships and values, and Aries is an initiating sign, and kind of a scrappy, competitive, lively sign. So I'm picturing her a little bit like a professional athlete, maybe, or maybe she's Mm -hmm. putting on her Wonder Woman costume. I do love that image. The thing about Aries that we forget is it actually is a very romantic and idealistic sign. What? Yes. Try to convince me. Okay, so think of the knights in medieval times who were very courtly and would perform all kinds of brave acts. Oh, like the highest expression. Yes, on behalf of the lady fair or the queen or whatever. So it's very romantic, very courtly, but it also really likes the chase. Hmm. So we would say Venus in Aries is happiest when it's in pursuit of something it wants. And then once it gets it, it's not necessarily, I mean, can be happy with it. It's not that it's never happy mm-hmm. in relationship or with what it wants, but it always likes a challenge. So it's always happiest if they don't possess it completely, if there's still some element of the chase there, I think. What it means for the rest of us who are not born with this, who are just going to have Venus and Aries over the next three or four weeks by transit, is that it is a time when we will tend to want to go after the things that we want. Okay. And just know again, because we've been having all these aspects involving Venus with Neptune, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we haven't necessarily been as clear as we might be on what's actually going to make us happy once we get it. Hmm. Because Venus just says, I want this. It doesn't make any value judgment about whether it's good for us or whether it's going to make us happy in the long run. It's that this is what I want. I'm going to get it. So I think that's what Venus in Aries is like. It's very assertive in going after what it wants. But no, I think it's a super romantic sign. We have this in our wedding chart, actually. And it hasn't destroyed our marriage (laughs) or our relationship. So (laughs) I used to encourage my wedding date clients when I used to do that kind of work. If I had to give them a chart with Venus and Aries, like, oh, no, Venus isn't good in Aries. I'd say, I don't know. I've had it for low these many years in a marriage and we're very happy. So Mm -hmm. it can work. But it talks about a relationship where the two of you together always have some kind of challenge as well. That keeps things lively and interesting. Uh And any planet looking at Mercury and Venus going into the signs of their detriment this week reminds us that a planet will make its presence very strongly known when it's in a sign of its detriment or its fall because it's having to work so hard to express itself that it ends up being a little exaggerated. Hmm. And it ends up, if somebody's born with a planet in the sign of its detriment, 
it ends up exhibiting itself really strongly in their personality. I see. So Interesting. That's a whole new thought for me. Is it? Yeah. I love to give you new thoughts. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I like it. Okay. I do too. Yeah. Jen. April. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's Moonwatch. You got a hum. Breaking news. <laughs> it's the full moon this week. We have already made it halfway through this lunar cycle. It seems we were just talking about the new moon in Aquarius. Where did the time go? You know, just a day at a time. And here we are. Yeah. So we had that very grave, sober, Sabian symbol for the new moon in Aquarius on January 24th, which was Council of Ancestors. Right. And we talked about that at some length. And then we last week had the first quarter moon in Taurus, which was a man handling baggage. So we talked a little bit about how we're taking action toward our goals and handling our stuff, right. whether it's, you know, literal and physical or whether it's psychological. So this week we have the full moon at exactly 20 degrees of Leo. So in the Sabian symbols, we would round up okay. to the next degree. So we go 21 degrees. Even if it's 20 exactly? Yes. Okay. The Sabian symbol for this full moon is sort of amusing. What is it? It's intoxicated chickens, <laughs> messed up fowl. <laughs> That's a funny image. It is a funny image. What's it evoke for you? It makes me think of drunk birds flying around Minneapolis in the spring. Well, yes, you told me about this. That, so tell me, is it all kinds of birds? What happens? The birds that drink berries... The nectar in the spring, or was it the fall? I'll have to look it up, but if I can find it, I'll put a link in the show notes. But basically, <laughs> they were drinking berries and they were getting drunk and they were flying crazy. I remember looking out my window <laughs> and you could see them flying crazy through They're the like air. They're like kamikaze chickens. <laughs> or they would like try to land and miss. <laughs> Uh, do you think there's a cautionary tale in there I for do. us yes, at this I do full think moon? There is a cautionary tale. Well, the opposite symbol to this, the sun, of course, at the full moon, the sun is at the opposite degree right. of the opposite zodiac sign. So it's at 21 degrees of Aquarius. And the Sabian symbol for that is a woman disappointed and disillusioned, Ooh. which is a much more sober degree. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you, you see did what there. <laughs> so I take this as referring fairly specifically to all that Neptune energy that we had last week. And I think both of these Sabian symbols are actually pretty good representations of Neptune. Because Neptune is both disappointment and disillusionment when something doesn't end up being as we hoped oh, yeah. it would be. I guess disillusioned is a real Neptune word. It is. And so is drunkness. Drunkenness yeah. is a Neptune thing. Too. Well, because why do we drink too much? And why do we indulge in substances to put us in a different state of mind? It's because we don't like the state of mind we're in. And it's we're sorrowful or we're grieving something or we've lost something or we are disappointed, disillusioned in life. So I see there's a real rapport between these two symbols, even though on the face of it, it doesn't seem they have a whole lot in common. Yeah. And it's a lot more fun to just fixate on the intoxicated chickens. Yes. I think I actually used to make a chicken recipe before I went vegan that was drunken chicken. Does that sound right? Yeah, that yeah, could be. Yeah, it's like you would marinate it. With Beaujolais Nouveau. Oh, Listen in with the French. Il y a beaucoup de personnes dans le monde qui parlent le français, oui. I don't know what that means, but it sounds fantastic. It means there are a lot of people in the world who speak French. How do you say, I am not one of them? Je ne sais pas. I don't know. Je ne sais pas. So, yeah, I don't know that I used to do fancy French chicken in that way. But, yeah, drunken chickens. 
That is our full moon. Okay. The full moon degree is not making a lot of aspects in the chart, but I think it is making a trine to Mars. Which would indicate what? Was it last week they were squaring? Yeah. We're in the double digits now with our yes, uh, number are. of episodes, and it's getting harder to keep them apart. Well, last week we had... Uh, Venus and Mars both aspecting Neptune. So Venus made a conjunction with Neptune and Mars made a square. Mm -hmm. So knowing that the full moon degree is squaring that Mars that's so recently been involved with Neptune says, hey, if we made some wrongheaded decisions, perhaps they'll come to light now because the full moon reveals everything, as we've said before. So, you know, it's a trine. And again, we like to think of a trine as a lovely aspect, but really what it does is just nothing stands in the way of the truth being shown, in this case, at the full moon. Yeah. So that's Moon Watch for this week. Okay, there we have it. Well, what else do we have on the agenda for today? Well, we talked last week about Saturn returns. Yes, indeed. Because you had your Saturn return. Well, you haven't had it yet because we're recording a week early, but (laughs) it's coming up. Oh, it's coming. It's coming. (laughs) I hear the train a coming. It's coming around the bend. (laughs) But by the time that we're all listening to this, you will already have had your second Saturn return. Yeah. And it's certainly a topic that I've talked about with some people that are having their first Saturn return. Mm -hmm. That's a real interesting topic to people. What can you tell us about Saturn returns in general? And I'd be curious to know what you've been learning during your second Saturn return. Okay, so you can do a return chart for any planet in the chart. All it means is that the planet has gotten to the point in its cycle around the sun that it's returned to a particular spot again. So we do the solar return around your birthday every year because it takes the sun about one year to make a complete lap around the sun. So we calculate a chart for the moment that the sun gets exactly to the longitudinal degree it was in in your birth chart. And we cast a chart for that moment, and that's the solar return. Okay. We do the same thing with Saturn. But Saturn has a cycle of about 29 years. So we know that it's a very consequential return because you have it so seldom. So what you're saying, basically, just to break it down for people, is that Saturn basically is returning to the place that it was in the sky when you were born. Yes. Okay. And it does that about every 29 years. Yeah. So the first time that it happens, and for me it was in 1990, I got to have three Saturn returns because I had the first hit. And then Saturn went retrograde, and I got a second hit, which is pretty common. All the planets go retrograde except the sun and the moon. Yes. So then it went direct. So I got three Saturn return hits, and that was a pretty big deal. This time I just get the one, which is exciting. Do you want to go into anything that was happening then for you personally? Well, that's when I started doing astrology readings for money. Ah. <laughs> and by, yes. And by the next <laughs> summer, I had left my boring secretarial job to be a full-time professional astrologer. Wow. That's huge. It is. And now I am at the Saturn return of that event because I'm at my second Saturn return. Oh, your business is having its first Saturn return. (laughs) Yes, exactly so. If you were going to unpack that, what would you say about that? Well, the first and second Saturn returns, in my experience, are radically different. I mean, they both have to do with gauging your success. And at the first Saturn return, you're at an age where you're looking down the barrel of 30, and that's kind of a scary number. And you reckon with your maturity and your mortality and with your external success, very often at this age, people do make a major career shift because you're reevaluating where you're at. And Saturn is intimately related with career and with maturity and all of the rest of it. So people will make major career changes. Sometimes they'll get married 
or divorced. I actually got married when I was 31 in the wake of the Saturn return. Anything that makes you feel like you're achieving what you feel you should be achieving in life. At the first Saturn return, I find it's much more about what you feel you should be achieving. Sure. And especially based on other people's expectations for you or what society in general might tell you that you should be wanting and doing at this age. So it's a really big turning point. At the second Saturn return, of course, you're at a different age. You know, I'm 58 years old. I'm a very different person than I was at 29. And my colleague Eileen Grimes put it really, really well about the second Saturn return. She said that it's interesting that in the previous Saturn return, I was looking for myself professionally. And now at the second return, I found myself professionally. Hmm. Nice. And there's a greater sense of who I am and who I'm not and what I do well and what I don't. Yeah. So I'm finding the second Saturn return is still about gauging our success, but it's much more internally driven. It's am I the person that I wanted to be at this point in my in my life? Yeah. I remember doing a talk on this subject and I ran across this statistic. There was a survey done at the University of Lancaster that found that 58 was the age where the highest proportion of people were happy with their work-life balance and they felt good about their lifestyle. Interesting. (laughs) Now, can I say that all of that is true for me? I don't know. I'm working too hard. And I did it the first Saturn return as well. Mm -hmm. I was working really hard. I had my full-time job. I was doing astrology on the side. I started teaching classes. I had a housekeeping business with another person. I was playing music in clubs. I was doing a lot, working really hard. Does it sound familiar? You work with me. Uh And (laughs) at this second stage of life, I keep thinking that things are going to get easier and just kind of go on autopilot. And it's exactly the opposite at the second Saturn return. You work a lot. I work a lot. And it's like there are lots of things I want to do. And there are things I still want to accomplish. And I'm feeling that very keenly in the last six months. So I'm hoping now having gotten over the hurdle of the actual Saturn return and that the universe looked at me and said, you did okay the first time. We'll only make you go through it once this time around. Um, (laughs) Oh, is that right? Yeah. Well, hopefully (laughs) this is what I'm telling myself that, yeah, hopefully I'll come out of the Saturn return feeling really good about things because that's what happened the first time. And the nice thing about getting older in astrology is you've gone through all of these cycles a time or two, and you can kind of get a sense based on last time, what's coming for you this time. And last time, like I say, I launched into my business. And after that, things really broke open. I started a whole new career and a, you know, a new relationship and moved to a new city and lots of exciting things. So perhaps this podcast will become super successful. Well, this is what we're banking on, Jen. (laughs) So tell me about your first Saturn return. You had your first one back in May of 2000. You won't have your second for a while. Is that when mine was? You looked it up. I did look it up. Okay. May of 2000. I know what was happening. My wife and I moved into our house. (gasps) Wow, that was a really big change. And Saturn's in my seventh house, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a stern placement, but that would make sense in that respect. I think of Saturn as the school principal of the Zodiac. Mm. Yeah, well put. That he wants what's best for you, but you might not always like it. Yeah. Or like any authority figure in your life that we could say wants the best for you. Yeah. Like a good principal that cares about your well-being and wants to help hone your talents and that kind of thing. Right. And knows that you're going to feel better about yourself if you've worked hard and you've achieved what you're capable of. That's right. So 
That's exciting that that's what you did at that age. I guess so. Well, it's such an external symbol of success. And you do have Saturn in Taurus, which is the sign of property. Oh, interesting. So you and your wife together, seventh house, made that significant leap together. Is she your age? Were you having Saturn returns around the same time? She's seven years older than me. So our Saturn's actually Oh, so she had a square. (laughs) Yeah, she had a square at that time. So, Uh yeah. But that's nice. It sounds like you had a pretty good Saturn return. I guess so. I mean... How was your career? I became a certified hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm, Pretty sure. That sounds like a significant career shift. So I was still working at my first job out of graduate school, but I was also doing hypnotherapy at the time Hmm. just because I found it really fascinating. Yeah. Hard-working gal, bought a house. Bought a house with my honey. That's a good Saturn return. Yeah. People have asked me before, students especially, they'll say, well, if you have a good Saturn in your chart, if you have a lot of good aspects, I'm like, is there such what a thing? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. I know. When they're thinking, <laughs> well, if it's like, I presumably have a pretty good Saturn. It's in the sign that it rules, Capricorn. It is in good aspect to Mars, which is better than a bad aspect to Mars, I suppose. Yeah. And all things being equal, maybe it's a pretty good Saturn. And they would say, well, if you have a good Saturn, do you have a good Saturn return? And I'm like, well... When you look back at it, you'll know if you had a good Saturn return or not. It doesn't really work that way in the moment. I guess so. Yeah, Yeah, you're kind of on the ground, boots on the ground, head down, doing the work, and it never feels good. Yeah. That's not Saturn's job. Saturn is not there to make you feel good. He's there to get you to do the work that later you can feel good about. So sure, yeah. maybe we could say if you have a strong Saturn, because you have a pretty good Saturn. Your Saturn's in an angular house. You've also got the Mars trying to it. Angular house meaning first, fourth, seventh, or tenth. Yes. Like if the birth chart, if you put a cross in the middle of it, those are four important points in the chart. Mm-hmm. I guess what you could possibly say is in hindsight, when you look back at it, if you have a good Saturn in your chart, probably you'll feel happy with your Saturn return. You'll say, yeah, that was a time when my life took a really positive shift and I began to feel successful in a new way. But that first Saturn return is, I mean, to go back to our full moon Sabian symbol, it's a sobering transition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah, because you haven't been through it before and you're thinking, wow, is this really what I'm going to be when I grow up? Yeah. And reckoning with that. Right. So I hope that's helpful to some people that are listening that are going through this transition, either the first one or the second. And what I'm hearing you say, too, is that it's about work a lot of the time, but it can also be about taking care of yourself, right? Yeah, it's about building a life that is satisfying to you in all ways. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's a quotable right there. Well, thank you. I've used this analogy, and I don't know if I've used it on the podcast. I know I was saying it to a client just the other day who was having Saturn going across her ascendant, and I remember really clearly when that happened for me, because it's been pretty recently, maybe four years. And I remember thinking the very day that it crossed, I remember waking up and feeling really overwhelmed by a responsibility I had taken on. And I thought, if your life is not what you want it to be, then it's up to you to make it what you want it to be. And that's the challenge, I think, of the Saturn return. Is this how you want your life to look? Well, if it isn't, the only one that's going to make it that way is you. Right. And that's tough Saturn language, but that's how Saturn speaks to us. Like you say, he's the kindly but stern principal or teacher or a parent or some authority figure who really wants the best for you. But that can only be earned. It can't be given to you. Right. You have to earn it. Mm-hmm. Helpful? Yeah. 
Happy Saturn return, my friend. Thank you. I don't know that happy is exactly the way one would characterize it, but satisfying Saturn return to you. <laughs> but thank you. Satisfying, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not seeing anything else on our agenda for the day. Do you think we've done it? We have done it. Well, thank you, all of you, for listening. To the Big Sky Astrology Podcast, we do come to you each week. Every Monday morning, we will drop into your podcast feed. And if you like what you're hearing, we sure hope that you will subscribe to our podcast on whatever podcatcher thingy you're listening to us on (laughs) so you don't miss a single episode. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstrology.com. And join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh